The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good morning, and welcome back to our study in the book of Amos. Our plan this morning is, first, I will make some comments with regard to what Pastor referred to as my sabbatical. And then we will look at an overview of the book of Amos to get us back uh, into the text. And then we'll talk and focus a bit in chapter 8 uh, in the book of Amos. In early September, one of my siblings informed me that our mother's health had a sudden decline. Consequently, I decided to go and spend two weeks with my mom and dad in Virginia, and I did. And I had a wonderful time with them. My mom was quite weak, but she still had soundness of mind and she was still able to do some of the things that she enjoyed. I was still able to make her laugh with my special things that I would say to her. So that was a joyful and a wonderful time. Her condition continued to decline despite the best efforts of the doctors. So I decided for, to go back for another two weeks during the middle of October. And I went. And when I arrived, mom's condition was worse than it had been when I saw her last. And while she was still able to eat with help and that and She was not able to have conversations anymore. So we took care of her, did all we knew to do. And then on the following Saturday, she departed from us. My sister told me, and this was before mom's departure, that she heard mom say, I want to go home. And it was clear that she was not talking about her earthly home, which is where she was at the time. So on that day, on that Saturday, actually at about this time Saturday, we already were expecting that our time with us was drawn nigh and that it wouldn't be much longer that she would be sojourning with us. And so we went in back and forth to the bedroom and we would kneel and have our time with her and talk and pray and sing and those kinds of things. And we were gathered 
my dad, and three of my siblings, and I were gathered around her. And for about the last hour, we were all gathered, watching closely as her life was in its departing phase. My sister and I have been together with my mom in the room. We were singing and doing, and and my sister had to go out. She got a phone call. But shortly after she went out, I saw another decline in the breathing pattern. And so I knew time was really getting close. And I was hoping my sister would come back in soon. And I thought, well, if she's doesn't come back really soon, I'm going out and tell everybody the time is very close now. But she did come back, and I told her, and she went and brought them in. And so in about an hour, uh, after about an hour, uh, my mom departed. And after she was gone, we, we looked at her body, and we waited, and then we made phone calls that are necessary and all that. So after 92 years, the Lord decided that it was time for my my mom's earthly sojourn to end, to remove her from here, and to take her to be in her eternal home. So we we are encouraged by the words we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 6 through 8. And it says, therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk not by faith, I mean, we walk by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Many of you knew of mom's illness, or that she, her health was in decline. And you supported us with prayer and encouragement. During her decline and after her departure, thank you all. The prayers, comments, and cards are all very much appreciated and they have been of great help. So again, thank you all. We appreciate it. And now, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Amos. 
Amos is a very interesting book, identified and classified as one of the minor prophets, because the length of the book is relatively short. There are not an overabundance of words in the book, but the magnitude of the significance of the words can be overestimated. The book of Amos says a lot about judgment. In fact, that's the dominant theme that you find until you get into the last chapter. And then you see hope about a future day and what God will do in that day. But before that day arrives, there are a lot of things that were going to transpire. Judgments. Now we have, we understand that Amos was writing on, is somewhere in about 760 B.C. Now to us that seems like a long time ago. And someone who is not familiar with what we do in our Bible studies and what God has given to us might well be inclined to say something written that long ago, how can it have any significance to us? How can it say anything that we need to be attentive to? But people who will speak that way don't understand that what we have is what God preserved and provided for us through his servants, and Amos being one of those. So how do we pin the date? And I'm just going to do this briefly. We've touched on these things before. The first verse tells us that Amos prophesied during the time when Jeroboam II was a king in the northern kingdom called Israel, and that Uzziah was the king of Judah during the time of his uh, ministry. So that puts a bracket around the time when Amos could have been ministering because we have dates for Jeroboam and his reign spanning from about 793 B.C. to about 753 B.C. And then we have Uzziah reigning from about 790 B.C. to about 740 B.C. So that limits the span. The latter of those two began their reign in 753 B.C. Well, let me see. 790 B.C., the one who started second. That was Uzziah started his reign at 790. So Amos would have come after 790. And Jeroboam ended his reign in 753 
which means that Amos would have come before 753. So that gives us a bracket. So we're not just stabbing to the wind as to when he may have prophesied. There is another indicator for us that's given in also the first verse. And it talks about an earthquake. We talked some about this earthquake. Archaeologists have helped us here because they have identified an earthquake that occurred in the area that is estimated to have occurred about 760 or depending on which researchers you're reading, maybe about 750, but basically within a very tight window. They, the archaeologists have validated that there was an earthquake in the area. So with these, we're pretty confident that we know approximately when Amos was carrying out his ministry. We also noted that the primary focus of Amos's ministry was to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom, as we said, Israel. But that Amos wasn't from that area. That was not where he was living. He was living in the southern kingdom. He was living in Judah. He was not just living in Judah. But while he was in Judah, he was not in the ministry. He was not a prophet. He was not doing the kinds of things that would be expected of somebody who would go to the northern kingdom and prophesy. He was a man who was living. And I use a different phrase this time. I would say an exemplary, ordinary life. A man who was living that kind of life. An exemplary, ordinary life. That's what we should all be doing. Because we're ordinary people. But this man, Amos, heard, and I'm going to use a modern way we speak, he heard the call of God to say to him, Amos, I have a different job for you to do now. And it's not what you've been doing, and it's not what you're experienced in, but this is my job and my assignment for you. I want you to go to the northern kingdom, and I have some messages that I want you to deliver there. And the messages are messages that they will not want to hear. Now, I'm obviously alliterating a bit, but the messages that they're not going to want to hear and they're not going to appreciate you being the message bearer. In fact, they may even associate you with the message. So this is the condition under which Amos is given his charge to go. And so he goes and he begins to pronounce what God has told him to do. And we notice in the first two chapters that there are Gentile nations that are called out for judgment because they had done enormous transgressions against humanity, against God's own created ones. 
And God was aware all the time of what they were doing. He never lost sight of what was going on and what the people were doing. They were carrying on as if there was no God or as if there was a God who was one who had no power or maybe a God who just didn't care about what they were doing. But the sovereign God of the universe was paying attention all the time. And he knew what was going on. And so he called out Damascus, the capital city of Syria. He called out Gaza, the capital city of Philistia. He called out Tyre, the capital of Phoenicia. He called out Edom and Ammon and Moab. And he listed out the atrocities that those people had done. And when you read it, you know that there can be no mistake that these people had earned what was coming to them and that God had been long-suffering and patient with them. But God's patience, to use a colloquial expression, wears thin, and it did with them. And so he pronounced judgments. Now those who were in the northern kingdom and who were paying attention to what Amos was preaching and prophesying, they wouldn't have had any particularly major concerns with these messages, these surrounding us, these who we could be pleased to hear that judgment will be visited upon them. But Amos wasn't done. He kept on. Mind you, he is in Israel, the northern kingdom. The kingdom has split. So there was the northern and the southern, Israel and Judah. So now Amos launches into his condemnatory statements towards Judah. Judah had also done some horrible things. But the thing that is of most significance with respect to Judah is not so much the abuse of God's people, but of abuse of God himself. Spiritual adultery. Turning away from the things of God and turning to idols and all that. And so Judah was in a bad spot. Now Judah had privileges that the surrounding nations didn't have because they were a part of the people whom God identified and whom he created to be my people. He was, they were people who had been recipients of the covenant promises that God made to Israel. 
So they were in a special position. They had responsibility for all of the things that God had given to them, all of the revelation that had been provided through and to them, through their own people. They have responsibility for that. We can surmise that the audience of Amos really wasn't so upset about that message either. After all, they are the northern kingdom. They are enjoying wealth. They are enjoying peace. They are living a good life. They're just carrying on, doing whatever it is that is to their heart's desire. And so they may not be too concerned if Judah falls into problems. But Amos was not done yet. Amos was not done. And then he turns his focus, his floodlight on Israel. Then you can imagine the people began to take notice in a different way. He's saying now this prophet how dare he speak to us like that. We are above that. We don't deserve to be spoken to like this. And so we get now then after these messages and I call it an an interruption in the discourse or the discourses of Amos. And this is an astonishing section. So I'm going to go back down and look again to review in chapter 7 where it speaks about Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. Because here, with Amos having proclaimed as he did, he gets somebody who stands up and speaks out against him. Not just a somebody, but somebody who had special significance there and then. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. Thy land is not able to bear all his words. So he's speaking against you, and it's just not good. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive. He's saying these are the things that Amos is speaking to the people. Be taken captive from their own land. They thought they were secure. Now, why did they think they were secure? Well, you can't understand it. Because of their military prowess. And because of the alignment of the nations at the time. And so that the northern 
nations above them were being kept in check. Southern nations were being kept in check by other uh, groups, people, groups. And so they had wealth and they had military uh, peace. And so why would this man be speaking like this? So he says to him, go, you seer. <laughs> well, seer is one who sees visions. And Amos did see visions, and we see five visions that are listed uh, under the section. These, all these messages before were called oracles. He was given those in words, descriptions of what was going to take place. And then it comes to the five visions where he talks about, you know, the Lord showed me, and the Lord showed me, and those kinds of things. But, and so he was a seer. But I think Amaziah wasn't thinking of seer in the proper sense as it applied to Amos. I think this was as a sneer. And you can see why we would conclude that if you look at the next part here. He says to Amos, flee to the land of Judah and there eat bread and there prophesy. So go there, eat your bread, prophesy there. In other words, you're making a living off of this prophecy you're doing, go and do it in Judah where you came from. Don't do that here. And then it said, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the royal residence. We spent some time before talking about that, of how you know, Bethel, it meant house of God and it should have been a place still set aside for the proper worship of God. But now it is being identified as a place of the king. That he is the sovereign there now. We talked yesterday at the men's meeting, talked about you know, a, a sovereign with a capital letter S and a sovereign with a small letter S. And this would be a small sovereign, that king. But that's what the opposition was. And then Amos gives a defense. He doesn't just let what Amaziah the priest said just hang in the air. But he offered a defense. He said, I have something to say. You spoke and now I'm going to speak. And here's what he says. I was no prophet. That's referring to the school of the prophets, those who were trained up to be in that occupation. Nor was I the son of a prophet. He didn't go to one of the schools of the prophets, son in that sense. Neither was his. And then he said also in there, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. And so he is being explicit in saying that what I'm doing now is not what I was doing before. What I'm doing now is not what would be expected to be the next step from what I was doing. I was doing what I was doing. And I was satisfied and I was doing well. And I wasn't looking for another job or looking for a promotion or looking to do something different. He says in verse 15, the Lord took me as I followed the flock. You remember 
somebody who went on to a, sent on an assignment. <clears throat> and he used the words, I being in the way, the Lord sent me. Amos is saying, I was doing what I was doing. I'm here not to make a profit on the people who will hear me speak. That's not why I'm here. I'm here because the Lord directed me to come. And he told me, go and prophesy to my people Israel. That's interesting because he doesn't say God sent me to prophesy to a bunch of bad apples or to a bunch of rogue people. He said God sent me here to prophesy to my people, Israel. So as bad as all of those descriptive things are related to Israel and what they were doing are, and horrible those things were. And God knew all of that. And when he called the prophet and sent him, he said, I'm sending you to speak to my people, Israel. They hadn't ceased to be his people because of their wickedness. They were still his people. He hadn't disavowed them. So now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say do not prophesy against Israel and do not spout against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus said the Lord. And then he goes on to speak about the bad things that are going to happen there. And so Amos speaks up. He's been blasphemed or uh, people have, have spoken bad things against him. And he speaks up in his own defense. Now in chapter 7, we also before, now that what we just read is after the first three visions that are recorded in chapter 7. Now there are five visions visions where, the, where Amos says basically the Lord showed me except for the last one he said I saw the Lord standing by the altar but these are visual things and he's reported now from those visual experiences so it speaks about the locusts in chapter 7 in verses 1 through 3 uh, the locusts and in that presentation. The idea was that God was ready to let the locusts devastate the land and through intercessory prayer offered by Amos, he didn't do it. And then by the fire in verses 4 through 6, another way of judgment and then followed by another intercession and God didn't do it. And then in verses 7 through 9 comes a plumb line And the prophet doesn't intercede anymore, intercede anymore by prayer here. And we gave a visual illustration of the plumb line, but Israel was so far off the mark that it was going to crumble. It was going to fall over. The patience of God had worn out 
not just in, but out. That means that what was coming was inevitable. It was going to come. And then in chapter 8, in verse, first four verses, we read about a basket of summer fruit. And we commented on the word there, words there and what appears to be a word play with the word fruit and the word in sounding similar in the Hebrew in their rendering of the, what was here. Which is kind of interesting there because summer fruit, you know, the idea is that you know, the fruit was ready for harvest. It was ready to be harvested. Ready for harvest. And what about Israel? They were ready to be harvested by God in judgment. And so it seems like a play on words there. The long suffering and the patience of God have run this course and judgment was coming. Judgment was coming. The Assyrians, that wicked and hasty nation, was going to be an instrument in the hands of God to bring to these people a just consequence of their choices. And so while they were, while Amos spoke, still in a condition of peace and prosperity and just reclining on their couches and reveling and whatever all it is that they did, they were doing all these things. But the prophet said, the judgment is coming. So God has already chosen his instrument to bring the judgment and it was coming. Now we didn't get even to where we were the last time, but I thought it best to go back and try to get us back on track so that we can, can move on and, and get through. And we are going to get through the end of this book, Lord willing. But I find it fascinating. I've said before, and I am likely to say it many times again, that each time I go through these things, it's like fresh to me again. Things that uh, affect me, and, I, and, and I'm, I just marvel. I marvel at the kind of God we have. One God, one Lord. There is only one. And to that one, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The issue is not whether, but when. Because if somebody departs, And they have not come into a right alignment to exchange their sin for his salvation that he offered freely through his shed blood upon the cross. 
they won't be happy. And so these things here are encouragement to us. We can look at what these folks do and did, or what they did, and be strengthened in our resolve to walk closer to the Lord so that we don't find ourselves replicating and duplicating the attitudes and the, 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 the approach to the things of God that they had. So let me pray, close in prayer. My time has expired for this morning. But thank you again. I appreciate you listening carefully. Our Father in heaven, our great God, we are thankful to you. We know, Lord, that we of ourselves don't deserve to be in your presence. But through your great mercy, you're permitted to be just that way. And we give you the thanks for it and ask you to help us along our way so that we will be found to walk in the ways of the Lord, that those who are watching and paying attention to us will not be caused to blaspheme the name of God because of what they see in us. We pray in his precious name with thanks. Amen.